Amen. Amen. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, we good? It's, uh, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? It's good to worship Him. And there is, let me tell you, there's a joy in this room this morning. Um, this is the first time. So when my wife and I and our two little boys were here uh, two years ago. Uh, and uh, we were praying over this building. Right? We had met in here a couple times, Mike, I think, and we, it was freezing cold because we didn't have heat. And, uh, man, we were just worshiping the Lord. The, the stage was over there, right? And to come in now and see what God is doing here is an incredible blessing. So I want you to know that. Um, and we could have stayed here for the rest of our lives. We loved it here. Absolutely loved it. We felt God's call to go back to the States and uh, invest ourselves in students who then could go and do what we did, you know, um, and what you're doing in your communities. But to come in this morning to see people that are, are worshiping the Lord and joyful, and uh, there's a life here that, uh, uh, quite honestly, I wasn't ex- necessarily expecting, you know, and, and that's a testament to you, that's a testament to what, what God is doing here, and, and we're proud to, to, be, to, ha- to have a, a part in that uh, years ago. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be back um, and uh, it's a joy. My wife, a beautiful wife who is singing up there, Nikki, she's over here, um, and she loves being back as well. It's great to see so many friends. Our two little boys, our blonde hair, blue-eyed boys, man, I miss them. Uh, Larkin and Sunder. Uh, Larkin is six, almost seven now, and Sunder just turned three. Um, Sunder doesn't remember a whole lot about living here, obviously. Nothing at all. Um, maybe some people, but, uh, but Larkin remembers quite a bit, and he, uh, he misses it. He, he wished he could have come with us, and I'm hoping next time. He missed some of his little friends, um, and he was naming some of his friends. He missed the, the train museum in York. He wants to come back and go to that. Um, and so we know where his priorities lie. He loves trains. He always has and always will. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in just a second. Sunder is just full of life. He's full of energy. And he will, uh, I mean, he never walks, right? He runs everywhere. He always wants you to race him, right? And you better let him win or he's going to throw himself on the floor and cry. Okay, so let him win. Um, But he is a mama's boy, right? And he loves his mom, and, um, and he doesn't like to be away, but he's doing great right now. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I, uh, uh, I was, my students know this story, but fairly recently, I had this moment with Sunder. Three years old, he loves his dad. I know it. It's in there somewhere. But he really loves his mom, right? And, and we had this moment where I was, I was watching him. I almost said babysitting. But when you're a dad, it's called parenting, right? It's not, it's not babysitting. I almost said that. Um, I was watching our son, and it was just me and him, and he was over playing on the floor, and I said, Sunder, I've got a secret for you. And you know how little kids do. They just, they love those secrets. You know, they, they'll stop whatever they're doing. He was playing, and he looked up, and he smiled big, and he ran over to me, and I, I bent down, and I grabbed his cheek, you know, and I said, I whispered in his ears, just us two, I said, Sunder, I love you. And you should have saw the smile on his face. His face just lit up, 
And it, it like made his day. And he goes back down. And he starts to play again. And about 10 seconds later, he looks up and he says, Dad, a secret. You wanted me to come close. And I thought, we're going to have this moment. It's going to be awesome. This is like one of those proud dad moments. And I, I went in, so happy. And he, he said, I love mommy. <laughs> That's my life. Right there. I try so hard. Um, but that's where I get it. it um, uh, we miss them. But they're in good hands with grandpas and grandmas. And honestly, I don't even know if they miss us. Uh, and that is a humbling thing, but it's a great thing. Because they're having a good time and God's watching over them while we're away from them. And so, um, so that's awesome. And Larkin, I was saying, he loves trains. One of, uh, I mean, he, he plays with trains. He talks about them. He reads about them and memorizes stats about them, right? I, things that I would never know about trains. He watches other kids play with trains uh, on, like, YouTube. Like, that's, that's a thing. That's a big thing, watching other kids play with toys that he can't have. That's a thing, right? Is it a thing here, too? It's a thing around the world. I'm like, Larkin, why would you waste your time sitting there watching kids living vicariously through someone else, playing with a toy you can't have or doing something you can't have, wasting so much time? And he may or may not have said, Dad, don't you do that with sports? <laughs> yes, oh, I, guess, I was like, I guess I do watch people play sports that I can't play and live vicariously through them. Um, he, they love sports. And uh, Sunder loves football, right? The real football. Yeah. I'll say that for you. The, um, Larkin is a baseball fan, but he's enjoying the World Cup. He actually leaned over to me. We were watching the Iceland game the other day, and he leaned over to me, and he said, after thinking for a while, he said, Dad, is a World Cup bigger than a regular cup? <laughs> Um, doesn't quite understand yet, but uh, I said, yes, it's massive. It's a huge cup, um, very important cup. Um, but he, uh, one of his favorite things to do is to, to come up on my lap, right, Larkin, because he loves trains. And we tell these stories about Larkin the locomotive, right? And we make up these ridiculously like funny and, and adventurous stories. And he loves it because a story is so powerful to him. And he, we, we go on adventures all around the world. And he'll sit up on my lap, Sunder sometimes, and we talk about Larkin the locomotive, a cheeky locomotive, right, who goes out and gets into trouble and solves the world's problems and always, always um, lives happily ever after, Right? And, and uh, he loves these stories because it's powerful to him. It connects with him, right? And we'll just make up the most ridiculous things. But to sit on daddy's lap and to talk through uh, just some random story is such a cool thing for him. I don't know if you do that still. I, I will probably not get up on a lap and listen to a story. But, like, I, I love to sit around a dinner table... And tell stories. I love to sit around a campfire or in our living room and 
talk about stories. I love getting with mates that I had back in college or high school and talking about um, some of the stories that bring us joy, right? And a lot of times we're laughing till, till fluid's coming out our nose. Like, they're so funny. And sometimes we're talking about things that, that are difficult to talk about. And we're crying together. And, and it's tough, but like, either way, we're so full remembering the journey that we've been on. And I think this is because your story is so powerful. Do you know that? Do you know that your unique God-given story is powerful? And maybe that's the only thing you need to hear this morning, is that uh, your story is a God-given story that's unique and powerful. But not only is it a powerful story, but it's a powerful story that God wants to use for His glory in impacting other people. And for some of you, your stories seem fairly simple and neat and clean, cookie cutter. Your family situation was nice and you, your money situation and your schooling and your job and this, everything kind of fits along. And you've had some ups and downs, but for the most part, your, your story has been fairly consistent and looks fairly neat. And some of you in here, it's completely the opposite, right? You've been through some struggles. You've had some heartache. Your family situation is not great. Your job, money, whatever it may be. And those ups and downs are even a little bit greater. And no matter our story in here, and man, what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ that that multiple nations can come together and worship the same God. Right? All of our stories are different. All of our backgrounds and family and economic situation. Like, everything, everybody's is a little bit different. But God wants to use everybody's for His glory. And this morning, so we're, we're wrapping up this blessed series, right? Which is awesome, by the way, right? And you talk about things like begin with prayer. That was your B. Listen, right? You talked about eating with others, which is really cool. You talked about serving. And then we wrap it up today with sharing your story, which is, uh, I feel like, a really cool thing for our students because this is what we've tried to push them to do to kind of even step out of their comfort zone at times and to be willing to share what God has done in and through their life because their story is powerful. This is why I believe that God places so much emphasis on story. You know, approximately 75% of the Bible is written in narrative. Right? Story. The reason is because stories connect with our emotions. They what else does stories do? They help us understand the world. They help us process experiences and emotions. They connect and encourage others. They relate on a deeper, more intimate level. And they remember the goodness and the greatness of God. I mean, how many times in the Bible do we look, especially in the Old Testament, where God says, place this memorial here, place these stones here. Why? So that you can testify to the greatness and the goodness of God. 
Because the same God that did all of those things is the same God that's here in the New Testament. It's the same God that we serve today. And he, was tell- he told the Israelites to remember that. Because his story is powerful. Right? And you can declare and remember the greatness and the goodness of God. I believe that's why the, so much story is used in God's word. And each of us have a unique God-given story that's not only our own story, but fits into a grand scheme that's bigger than us. Do we know that too, right? Like your story is not just your own. You're part of a gospel story, a beautiful gospel story that God is writing. The author of that story is God himself. You look at Hebrews 12, 2, right? The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The author and finisher of our faith. You know your story is not being written by you. Your story is being written by the author and finisher of our faith. Ephesians 2.10 talks about how he wants to make a masterpiece out of you. That's why you were created. His masterpiece. To reflect the glory of the great author. I don't know about you, but that's comforting to me. Right? And, and, and when I think about uh, how to bless others with our story, there's two very practical things. Right? And we're going to look in God's word in just a second. There's two very practical things that I think we all need to know with our stories that can help us impact those around us. And the first one is very simply, know your story. Know your story. Know it. You know, as we were preparing to come on this trip, one of the ways we tried to help our students is to write out their story. Because when you write out your story, it helps you kind of digest what God has done. And what we did is we asked three questions. And these are three questions that I would encourage you guys to do. Right? I would encourage you to write these questions down at some point. Take time in your personal walk with Christ and answer these questions. And the first one is this. What was my life like before Christ? very simple. What was your life like before Christ? Question number two. How did I encounter Christ? How did I come to know him as my savior? Like Paul on the road to Damascus. When did I have a face-to-face encounter with the risen Lord? And then the third question is, what has my life been like since? What has my life been like since? And for those who uh, maybe (laughs) have become a Christian and their life looks exactly the same as it used to, I I would say, man, you need to pray. You need to, you need to talk to somebody about that. Because God's word is filled with, 
with verses and passages that talk about once God lives in you, once you have an encounter with Christ, your life will be different. The way you talk will be different. The way you live will be different. The way you interact with people should be different. The way you clock in and clock out of work should be different. The way you play sport, the way you do school, the way you date, the way you parent. If God is living and active in you, then the way you do those things should be different. And so as you recount the goodness and the greatness of God with your story, and you write what your life was like before, how you came to know Him, and then what your life is like now, you should see a difference. And what a powerful, powerful difference that is. This is what Paul does to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, right? If you have your Bible and want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. And this is exactly uh, what Paul does. This is the outline that he uses when he talks to the people at Ephesus, right? Believers at Ephesus, going through some ups and downs, some turbulent times themselves, he wants them to remember their story, to know their story. If you want to stay strong for the Lord, if you want to impact your community and the people around you, he said, church at Ephesus, remember your story. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number one says this. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. And you were dead. You know what the word dead means? You do. Dead. Way worse than we thought. No life. There was no real life in us. Oh, and by the way, if you're, if you're a believer in here, if, you're, if you claim the name of Christ, then this, this was you as well. Right? These things describe you as well. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. How many people out there think that they're chasing life when really all they're chasing is a dead end and death? In which you once walked, verse 2, following the course of this world. They were captured by culture. The ways of the world was the wind in their sails. Right? They blew wherever the world would take them, wherever culture would take them. They followed suit. They lived exactly like the world would live. They did exactly what the world said they should do. They were captured by culture. The way of the world was the wind in their sails. They went, they were blown the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Satan's a liar. But when we're not in Christ, we are citizens of the wrong kingdom. 
And there's no following both, right? You're following one or the other. No middle ground. You're following God. You're following the prince of the power of the air. You're following God. You're following Satan. And these people, right? These, this group of people were following the wrong kingdom. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were so self-centered. He says, this is what you were. You were self-centered. You cared more about your desires than God's desires. You cared more about what the world said, what what the lies that Satan gave. You cared more about what you wanted to do for your life It was the passions of your flesh, not God-centered, self-centered. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is, oh man. You know, we serve a loving, great, good, righteous, just, holy God. We also serve a wrathful God. And all of the, those who are not uh, submitted their life to Christ, all those who are not um, uh, uh, willing to, uh, all those who are not believers, right? Says that the wrath of God is upon them. Children of wrath. That's scary. And then. <laughs> And then skip down to verse 5, right? All of a sudden, we have this complete shift. So we're going one way in all of these things. This is what you were. Oh, church at Ephesus. Church here. Teesside Vineyard. This is what you once were. He says, remember this. But then he goes 180 degrees the opposite way. And he says, now... Verse 5, he has made us alive with Christ. This is the opposite of death. He's given us life. He's breathed in us the breath of life, as we see in Genesis. He didn't do that with creation or with animals. He did that with humans, right? He breathed in us the breath of life. And it says in John that he wants us to live life and live it abundantly to the fullest. So opposite of being dead, we are now made alive. That's exciting. Right? What else does he say? He says, you've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's given you authority. He's seated you at the right hand. How amazing is this? He he has welcomed us and adopted us and brought us close. He has covered us with his blood and his grace and his mercy and his love. 
And He's reached down and He has saved us. And so we have this, this is what you once were moment, right? And then we have this, this is what you are now moment. Right? You're now brought close. You're now a child of the king. And in the middle, right? In the middle, in verse 4, we have two of the most amazing words in all of humanity. The words, but God. But God. Right? You once were all of these things. You were dead. You were children of wrath. You were blind. You were lost. And now you are these things. You're found. You have life. You've been adopted. What happened? But God happened. But God happened. Where was your life like before Christ? How did you encounter Christ? That's the but God moment. What's your life like after Christ? And this isn't the only time in Scripture that we see but God moments. And but God moments are pretty incredible, right? Here's a few other places. Psalm 66, 19 If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But God moments. Listen, I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I've got little left in the tank, but God. Is the strength of my heart and a portion forever. Romans 5, 7, and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we, will st- we are still sinners, Christ died for us, but God. 1 Corinthians. One twenty-six, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. But God. Listen, we're not wise. We're not strong. We're very weak sometimes, aren't we? But God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has, made making, has been making it grow. I am so thankful that our God is a but God kind of God. Aren't you? And that's a small sampling. There are many more moments in the Bible where something bad is happening. There's failure. And then God steps in. And then there's victory. Like something bad is happening, but God, something good. And that's what happens. But there's also moments, and maybe you've heard messages like this before. You've heard like a but God message. And they're awesome. I don't know if you've ever heard a a but you message though. 
And there are also many moments in the Bible that say, but you. Like these. Matthew 21, 13. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Matthew 22, 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. John 10, 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Revelation three sixteen. So many of us know John 3.16. Revelation 3.16. It's another one we should know, and it should, it should scare us a little bit, I think. Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But you, but you moments in the Bible are end in tragedy. Not good. But you moments in the Bible are tragic. Even even I, in my own effort, try to do the right thing. Even when when I try to do what's right, I don't have the power to get through on my own. And the things that I do and, the, and the, the people, like places that I go and like everything that I do on my own, like that's, sometimes they're really great in the moment. And that's awesome. But if I live my life with but me moments, in the end, all it leads is to a, a, a dark path, a dead end, tragedy, failure. But God moments, man, when you give your life to Christ, submitting to what he wants for you, not what you want for you, your story looks way different. And it's not that he necessarily changes everything about you and your personality and your character. It's like he takes what he, how he's made you and he makes you even more beautiful. He equips you in even more ways. And my desires become his desires. My life becomes his life. My passions becomes his passions for me. I want my life to be filled with but God moments, not but Tyler moments. Because I know from experience when but Tyler gets into the story, right? And when my story becomes all about me, that's a dangerous time. But guess what? My story is not just about me. There's something bigger than me playing it here. And that's the story of the gospel being reflected in my life. If you believe that you're here for a but me moment, if you believe that you're here on this earth to reflect your glory, to get what you want, to pursue your dreams and your goals, you are not going to succeed. 
And you may succeed for a moment in what like the world calls success, but I guarantee you, you won't have the peace that, that is promised with the Lord. I guarantee you won't have the, um, uh, the, the end in sight, the goal, the prize. Let's live lives of but God moments, not but me moments. This is not just our story. This is a story from the great author writing in and through our lives. And we are to be but a reflection of his beauty and his goodness and his love. When we try to reflect our own beauty and grace and goodness and love, it's but a dim reflection, isn't it? And we've all been there and we've all tried it at points. I can do this. I've got this one. Let's live every morning with but God mornings. I can't do this today, but you, oh God, can. I'm weak today, but you, God, you are strong. I'm, I'm like fearful, right? I'm scared, but God, you will give me the words to say. You will give me the power to do everything you've called me to do. You will send your... You, you, your spirit working in and through me. I can't talk to this person. No, you probably can't. But God. I can't share my story and my life with this family or this friend or this. And man, have you ever tried to like... I don't know. Have you ever tried to, to do something you thought was good in your own strength without relying on God? It's like, you, sometimes you think it's, it goes so well and then, and then it just all falls apart. And sometimes I can, I can like talk to somebody prayerfully and desire that but God moment and, and sincerely have a passion for him to use me and you, him to use my story. And I can say like, the, I can babble and I can, I can think that I'm saying like the dumbest thing and walk away and, and see God use that in way bigger ways than if I had like the best words. You ever seen something like that? But God moments. We've got to know our story. We've got to know the author of our story, right? And who he is working in and through us. And that the goal of our story is not to be the hero of our story. The goal of our story is to proclaim him as hero of our story. Because the author of our story didn't just be, he like set himself as a character in the story, right? He's not only, I mean, he showed himself to Abraham on Mount Moriah. To Moses in the burning bush. He was in the, the, his presence was in the Holy of Holies. He, he, he put himself in the middle of the story in the Old Testament. And then we see like, man, he really submits himself in the New Testament, right? As Jesus clothed in human flesh come down in the incarnation when he came from his rightful seat in heaven to be with us. This is the story that he's writing. And our stories 
although unique and beautiful in and of itself, in us, is not about us. Our stories, what God is doing, is to be but a reflection of Him. How He makes ugly things beautiful. How He makes old things new. How He makes dead things alive. It's a but God kind of life. And not only do we need to know our story, if you want to be a blessing to others, you, you don't have to, only have to know your story, you've got to give it away. You've got to give it away. One of the ways we did that with our students this week is that we asked them all to come up with um, photo, photo rings like this. So each of our students and our leaders had a photo ring, right? I'm not going to walk through mine. Um, actually, I think this is my wife's I grabbed this morning. But it's our favorite things. Right? So as we're sitting down and talking to kids uh, on a field playing sports, they love to hear about America. We know that. So we're, we're flipping through. This is my wife, right? She's my favorite, right? And then this is my family, and our students flip through. This is my pet. Oh, I love my pet. Oh, you know, you should have heard the kids. Oh, that's so nice. This is my house. Right? This is where I work. This is where I go to school. This is my favorite sport. And then the last picture is of a favorite Bible verse. Right? Our favorite book, which is the Bible. Maybe our favorite place to go, which is church. And we, we bridge the gap by connecting what our favorite, the, our, our lives, right? And then we use one picture to lead into a conversation to tell them about Jesus. And those kids loved it, right? I'm not telling you you need to carry around a, a keychain with pictures, but maybe. I might, do, I might start doing that. Um, you can't just know your story. It's not good enough to know what God's done in your life. That's awesome. You've got to give it away. We're called to make disciples who make other disciples. We're called to share our story, the story of God's goodness with people. And when you th- just when you think like, man, I, I don't know if I can say the words or I can do like what I'm, I don't think I could stand up in here and preach. You don't have to stand up here and preach. If the gospel was preached only on Sunday mornings up here, it would fizzle out. The gospel is preached through you, at your workplaces, in your communities, on your streets. And you know what? This is what you do to share your story, to give it away. You live a life that honors Christ. You are different. You obey Him, you try to live by His Word, you love people, you serve people, and you pray, you pray for that moment when they ask you why. And when they do, because they've seen you love them, and they've seen you serve them, and they've seen you go out of your way for no other, not because you want to thank you, or a prize, or Just because you love them. 
When they see that over and over and over again, I guarantee you they will ask you why. The other day I had a conversation with uh, with parents sitting in a field watching their kid uh, play the most ridiculous sports games. And they had sit in that field and watched our camp for three days straight. Mom and dad were both there the other day watching. They had never heard of Camp of Champions. We had, uh, um, we had time day one. And so some of our guys took flyers around the park, handed it to a lady and her son who were playing at the park. They came to camp. They stayed the whole time. Apparently he loved it, so they came back the next day. And then mom and dad both brought him the next day. They set out on the field with a bike and a, and a, a blanket. Nice little date afternoon. And they just watched their son have the time of his life. And when I finally went over and talked to them, this is what they said. Our son can't stop talking about your team. And I don't know what they're doing, but he loves this. And you know what they said? Why did you do this? Why did you come over and do this? And I can say that story because I did nothing. <laughs> I, wasn't a, I stood on the side and watched what they did as our students like loved on their kid. And after three days, six hours loving on their kid, they said they knew there was something different and wanted to know what it was. And for the next ten minutes, you better believe I took every advantage I could to tell them about, about Christ. He said... Christian, I'm not very religious. Can you, can you explain a little bit about that? And then we take advantage. We pray for boldness to step into that moment. Right, church? We live in such a way that glorifies and honors God. And then we pray for moments where we can be bold. We don't shove it down people's throats. We wait for moments where they ask us why and we can step in and share with them the hope. When Paul tells the, the, the church in Ephesus, hey, remember your story, hopeless to hope. This is our story. And what meets in the middle is a but God moment, an encounter with the risen Lord. Why are you fixing this garden? Why are you making this, like, why are you working so hard to plant something over there? Well, I'll tell you why. Because this is the picture of the gospel. When God took something that was ugly and dirty, and he made it new again in my life. That's why I work so hard to, to make the church look good, right? That's why we plant flowers and we work hard to pick up rubbish, not because we care if there's a piece of rubbish out there necessarily, but because we want to reflect the gospel in everything that we do. And making something that is dirty clean again, that's the gospel. And when someone asks you why you're picking something up, tell them. That's exactly what happened in my life. When I was rubbish, and Jesus rescued me and made me beautiful. This is our story. 
This is what we share with people. I don't know where I am anymore. My story plus my glory will end up nothing. But my story plus God's story is everything. And some of our stories in here are... um, uh, Some people in here think, man, God couldn't use my story. I've done too much. I've... I've, you, you wouldn't even imagine where I've been from, what I've come through, what I've done, what I've been addicted to, what I've looked at, what I've touched, what, whatever. You wouldn't imagine it. Oh, man. God wants to use your story. You don't have to pick up all the pieces of your story and put it back in nice and neat before God can use you. He wants to take the broken pieces of your story And he wants to begin putting them together in his masterpiece. And you know what his masterpiece looks like? It looks like a broken vessel that he can shine his light out from. You may have broken pieces, and that's fine. That's exactly what God wants to use for his glory. And, some, and, and, and somewhere down the line, that girl that comes to you who, who endured similar things that you've endured, you're going to be able to say, this is what God did to my broken pieces. And someday when that guy comes to you and says, this is, what, this is where I spent my money and this is what I've done, you can say, I too once was there. I was lost, but now I'm found. And the reason I'm here is not but me, but God. And the moment, and, and, and I, like our team's going to come up, our worship team, um, and yeah, you guys can come on up. Um, and... Uh, And as they kind of begin to play, I want to read this to you because I think it's important, right? And, and the moment we believe that our story is either not good enough to be told or it's, we've been through too much and it's too crazy to be told, these are the moments. This is, this is what I'm talking about. God wants to use you to share your story. Noah was drunk, but God used him to save humanity. Abraham was too old, but God gave him a son. Joseph was abandoned and left in a ditch, but God placed him in Pharaoh's palace. He went on to say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You remember that? Moses had a stuttering problem, but God used him to proclaim truth. Gideon was afraid, but God made his army victorious. Rahab was a prostitute. But God placed her in the the lineage of Christ. Jeremiah was too young, but God saw his youthfulness as an asset. David was an adulterer and a murderer, but God called him a man after his own heart. Elijah was depressed, but God used him to rain down fire from heaven. Jonah had an attitude problem, but God still used him to save the Ninevites. Job lost everything. But God restored what he lost times two. 
Peter denied Christ, but God built his church upon his confession. The disciples failed Jesus over and over and over and over again, but God used them to turn the world upside down. Oh, and Lazarus? Let's not forget about Lazarus, who was dead, but God raised him to life. And me and you, me and you, with our stories, a part of God's stories, knowing that our story we have for a reason, and it's to glorify Him and impact others, to reflect His glory. And me and you, we were once dead, but God raised us to life. He raised us to life. We were chained up, but He set us free. We were blind, but He gave us sight. We were lost, but he found us. We were far from him, but he brought us close. We were strangers, but he adopted us. We were dead, but now we are alive. What is your story? What's your story? All of our stories exist for God's glory. My life is not a story about me. And your life's not a story about you. My life's a story about who God is and what he does in the human heart. And there's nothing small or inconsequential about our stories. There is, in fact, nothing bigger. And when we tell the truth about our lives, the broken parts, the secret parts, the beautiful parts, then the gospel comes to life. An actual story about God's grace and his love and his goodness and his power. What's your story? And how are you giving it away? Those people that God has laid on your heart, you better pray. You better pray for them. Pray for a moment that they'll ask you why. And then pray that God will give you the courage to step into that. To answer that question. All of our stories exist. For his glory. Amen.